Like I said before, um, the, our reading today is going to be Psalm 51. It's a famous um, psalm that's been turned into, uh, uh, into song. It's been sung often. Um, King David is the speaker in Psalm 51, and he opens up the psalm with a plea for mercy. The sin that he seeks forgiveness for was this absolutely horrible abuse of power. He slept with a married woman, Bathsheba, and then tried to cover up the sin by having her husband, Uriah, killed in battle. The plea for mercy might not have come at all had not the Lord sent out, um, had not sent out Nathan to call out David's sin. So once David called out, once called out, David realizes God is justified in everything that he does in punishing him. There's no one to blame but David, and the fix is going to acquire something more than a patchwork uh, fix. This is going to take a whole kind of removal kind of thing. David needs a new heart, a new spirit, in order to restore the joy to not just himself, but to the entire kingdom. While the psalm speaks to a specific situation, it becomes the words we speak for God to restore us, to rebuild us and to renew people and whole communities who dwell in the joyless, broken relationships with God. Let us read Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. The words are really straightforward and need no further explanation. No study into the Hebrew words of their origin will provide any more clarity than those words as they are translated into English. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is how Dr. Dan Olson a professor of pastoral care at Wartburg Seminary, began his sermon on Psalm 51 when I was in seminary. His sermon was a sermon that just absolutely remained with me, buried deep in my heart. It's in my, my mind, and I recall it every time I hear these words. As a younger man, Dan served in the Navy, and he was stationed on a ship in Vietnam. I'm not really sure the timeline of his life, but eventually he was ordained and then he received his doctorate in clinical psychology. His life, his education, and his experiences provided amazing perspectives on ancient texts every time he preached. After this brief introduction to Psalm 51, Dr. Olson proceeded to talk about some events from October 1967. He talked about on October 17, 1967, a group of U.S. soldiers from the 2nd Battalion, 
28th Infantry were ambushed by a group of well-armed, prepared Viet Cong regiment. The younger, less experienced U.S. troops were one of the first real U.S. defeats of the, of the, of the war of that year. And that year, 1967, had been an amazing year for a U.S. movement. They had won battle after battle after battle. They had really stepped up an aggressive bombing campaign. They had really stepped up napalm as well. U.S. Major General John Hay declared the battle a victory despite all evidence of defeat. The very next day, Dan Olson went on to say, October 18, 1967, a couple hundred students from the University of Wisconsin-Madison gathered outside the Commerce Building to protest the presence of Dow, Chemicals on, Dow Chemical on campus. This was in response to the report which had emerged that the U.S. military was using Dow Chemical, specifically napalm, on the people in Vietnam. Dow Chemical was on campus to recruit students. The peaceful protest turned violent when the Madison police force used nightsticks, tear gas, to forcibly remove the students from their position outside the Commerce Building. It was the first major um, aggressive attack on a college campus in the United States up to that point. It was the first protest at a major university to turn violent, and it was the first time tear gas was used to disperse a crowd of college students on the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus. Protests would continue to Royal University of Wisconsin for years to come, increasing in frequency and intensity. Dr. Olson's point, as I remembered it, was this 24-hour period in October 1967 was the turning point, not just in the war in Vietnam, but in the entire nation. Peaceful demonstrations started becoming more violent. Police action became more determined to break protesters with violence, and the military stepped up its efforts, and the U.S. became more determined to remain. For the preacher, for the preacher that Dan was, everyone in every scenario, in every demographic, justified their actions as a response to a wrong first committed on them. No one felt the burden of guilt for their actions. They were all so buried deep in anger and hatred that it was hard to tell who was right and who was wrong. Collectively, we as a people, we turned on each other. Peaceful protesters attacked the soldiers coming home, whom they said they were defending. Police attacked the people who they were called to serve and protect. And, and uh, perhaps if everyone involved in that whole group, every entity from the individual to the government as a whole, had confessed their own sins and prayed together the words of Psalm 51, things might have been different. What if we had all prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me? He was not promoting a happy song like the old Coke commercial, but a true rendering of the heart. While each individual could look within and see a fracture, the broken spirit was that of an entire nation. We needed something more at that time than a new makeover. 
We needed to change. We needed a clean heart, a new and right spirit. I was thinking about this text in Dan Olson's sermon as I drove out to western North Dakota on Thursday to visit my brother and sister-in-law. The sky was big and blue. The leaves were turning color. It was this beautiful fall trip. But we've been making this trip to North Dakota for about 30 years, and you learn things along the way as you make this trip. The small towns that used to be run down and, and kind of beat up are cleaned up and filled with new homes, and there's new construction happening everywhere. In the old days, it was fairly common in the middle of nowhere. Um, in the old days, it was fairly common to see beat-up pickup trucks driving on the highway. Today, I don't think I saw a pickup older than three years old. The fields were fi- either filled with crops or had been recently harvested. Every available piece of farmland was in production, and many of them were using $200,000 pieces of equipment to harvest. Fargo, once a little cow town in the middle of nowhere, is now the fourth fastest-growing community in the U.S. My brother and sister-in-law used to live in a little beat-up old trailer on their property, and now they have a new house. The economic prosperity has been visually evident in that drive for the last 20 years. Yet, as I watch the news, and if I watch the news or watch the political campaigns for all the candidates, you would think we were on the verge of absolute collapse. You would think we're going to hell in a handbasket and we can't get there fast enough. The amount of hatred for the other is absolutely overwhelming. The other party, the other demographic, the other nationality. In our current culture, the other is a monster coming to destroy you. Sometimes I don't think we know how powerful our voices are in shaping the world around us. Not just your power to vote, but the words you use to describe your life. The world... The world... um, The current climate of the world, as expressed through ads, is bad. We speak words of anger to our friends, and those words form communities, and the community words start to change the heart and the spirit of people, all those people around us. How in the midst of things being so well, are we so angry at each other, that we're so divided as people? Is this really that bad? This is most visible in the church. Sometimes it feels like when we gather together in a sanctuary, we don't give, gather to give thanks to the undeserved blessings poured out upon us or to worship a God who sustains and creates new life all the time. We th- sing the song of, remember when it was better? Remember when God was powerful? When we really had people here? Remember when we sing this song when we should be giving thanks for all that God has done? and continues to do, and will do. Perhaps we, like the nation 50 years ago, need to confess our sins. Not what people typically think of when we talk of sin. I'm talking about real sin. Real sin is a fractured relationship with God. Most people think of sin as a moral choice some people fail to make. Don't steal, don't swear, don't kill, don't cheat, don't do that kind of stuff. But sin is any kind of broken, broken relationship with God. 
if you are liberal and hate conservatives, or if you're conservative and you hate liberals, your problem isn't limited to your neighbor. The bigger problem is with God, because those people whom you hate are children of God. Every expression of hatred directed at a person is ultimately directed at God. And that's what David learned. This is the sin crushing the soul of this nation right now. We don't know how to recognize and give thanks for the blessings in our lives. And we don't see the other as a child of God. We need to sing and we need to pray. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When I was a child, even through seminary, we sang Psalm 51 in every liturgy I was ever a part of. Although at the time, I didn't realize it was a psalm. I just realized it was part of the liturgy, and I stood up and I sang it like everybody else. The song is so forged in my memory that I can't even read the words without singing them. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Okay, Gibby, you can see why I don't sing solos. (laughs) Or here. The thing that I never thought about until Dan's sermon, Dan Olson's sermon, was the song was never about confession and forgiveness in the liturgy. The words were about... The words were about that we sang them connected to offering. We sang them as we brought the offering plates up forward. When the ushers had collected all the gifts and the special music had concluded, the organist would break into song. We would all stand up and start singing, Create in Me. And as I got older and I started thinking about that, why did we sing a song, a confession like that, during offering? I'm not sure this is the answer, but this is the one I came up with. Money is, a sustaining, money is a sustaining force in our life. Pastors for hundreds of years have preached against the evils of money, but the truth is, it's hard to live without it. Even the homeless need someone's financial assistance to live. Offering was not this act of paying bills, but a prayer, an invitation. We take our gifts, which represent our lives, we offer them to the Lord, and we pray, Lord, accept this humble gift as a sign of my love. I offer these gifts as an invitation for you to create in me a new heart and a right spirit. And when I depart from this sanctuary, help me to see you in your presence creating other new hearts and other right spirits wherever I go. Amen, amen, let it be so. If your life is perfect and you find hope beaming forth in every political ad you see, if you look at the world right now and say, you know what, I like it just the way it is. If your life is absent of hurt, frustration, pain, or anger, you don't have to say these words. But if, you're, if your life is lacking in some area of need, something, some, if your life is lacking in some area or of need of something new, I would invite you to pray these words with me now. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Amen, amen, let it be so.